chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Two Samuel seven, reading from verse one. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go, tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time I brought you, brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel... Have I ever spoken a word to any one of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel, and I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. For shall the sons of wickedness, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I remove from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Amen. Here we see King David established in his kingdom at peace from all his enemies around about him. He's comfortable and he is secure. He's comfortable, but he's not content. He's secure, but he's not satisfied. He's at peace with all of his enemies, but he's not at peace with himself. He's bothered. He's got something on his mind. And so he sends for his closest friend, Nathan the prophet. Uh, Nathan was uh, his confidant, somebody that he felt he could share his heart with. And Nathan was a true friend, uh, apart from being a great prophet of God. And he, he spoke prophetically many times into David's life. So who better to send for, uh, for advices and for conversation and to, 
express your heart to. And so what was his concern? His concern was the house of God. His concern was that he was dwelling in a house of cedar. And he had been in there a long time. And he was very successful at this point in his, in his kingship. And again, all his enemies were at peace around him. And so he was, he was really in a good place as far as the kingdom was concerned. He had this great palace, this house of cedar. And you've got to give David credit that even though he had risen to this great place in his life, he was still unsatisfied because the thing that bothered him the most was that God's ark, God's presence it stood for, was dwelling in tents. And he was dwelling in this grand palace and it was getting to him. He wanted to do something about it. Now, you've got to credit David for that because many a man has risen to the top of their profession or risen even to the top of the church profession, if you want to call it that, and has forgotten about the most important things, even the kingdom of God and the house of God and the ark of God and even the very work of God. And so he's concerned. He's been concerned about this for quite a long time, actually. In Psalm 132, he speaks of this. He says, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house, nor go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes, nor slumber to my eyelids, until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And so now he's got the ark of the Lord back again. Remember it had been stolen from the Philistine, with the Philistines. He's got the ark of the Lord back again and he's troubled and he's bothered. He's concerned more about, can I use the term, God's house than his own house. And that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? What is your house of cedar? What would take up your energies, your time, your thoughts, your money, your drive, your ambition? What's your house of cedar? A home? A career? Job? Business? Marriage? Boyfriend? Girlfriend? Family? With all the responsibilities? There's so many things in life can just take our life over. And even though we even come to church, sometimes if we're not careful, that becomes something that we just do. And we forget the most important things that we really want to please the heart of God. And so, his desire was that he was going to do something great for God's glory and for God's honor. He was going to build a house for God. I think that it's a good indicator of people's spiritual lives, where they are spiritually, on how they treat the house of the Lord. Maybe that's just me as a pastor saying that because we see that day and daily. But I think that it's a good indicator is their heart for the house of the Lord. David's heart certainly was for the house of the Lord. And he was not going to be content until he felt, I have built something that's God-honoring, that will honor God. I'm living in all of this splendor, and God's ark is in an old tent. 
And he didn't like that. This was his desire. What's your desire? Maybe your desire is to be on the mission field. Hmm? Maybe that's your desire. Or to be a singer or a worship leader or a preacher or, 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 or. There could be so many things even within the kingdom of God that could be your desire that you would really, really want to do. And all of these things would be honorable and there would be good desires. David had a good desire, an honorable desire, and he sought for the advice of a trusted counselor, someone that had wisdom, someone he felt that he could open his heart to that wouldn't put him in a wild goose chase. And so who does he go to? He goes to Nathan the prophet. Actually, he so loved this man, Nathan the prophet. You know, David had four children to Bathsheba. Solomon was one of them. But he named one of his sons Nathan. That's how close he was to this man. And so he sought his advice. His desire was good. His motive was pure. His dream was commendable. But in 1 Kings 8, don't turn to this, 1 Kings 8, 17, 18, this is what it says. This is whenever the temple was actually built and his son Solomon was about to dedicate it. Listen to what he says in 1 Kings 8. Not was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. And so there was nothing wrong with his desire. And if you want to do something for the kingdom of God, no matter what it may be, that would be a good desire. That would be an honorable desire. Nothing wrong with that. Even the very timing seemed right. Nathan agreed. Go do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. All the pieces just seemed to fit. All the right doors were opening. Everything seemed favorable. There couldn't be a better time, he thought, to build this temple for the Lord. Everything was right. That's the way it seemed. And it seemed to be he had got the advice that he was looking for. Go, do it. Do all that's in your heart. God's with you. Why, would, why wouldn't God want that done? I mean, that would be the normal rational way of thinking, isn't it? I mean, it's a good thing. That would be God-honoring to do. So why wouldn't God want that done? I'm sure he could hardly sleep in his bed at night. You know, I'm sure he was thinking up to this point. I'm sure he visualized this great temple in all of its grandeur and splendor. And I'm sure he could, he could see the cedar inside of it. And I'm sure he could see the gold and the silver inlays and all of the furniture and all of the fixtures and the fittings and the sheer size of it and the columns of it and all the rest of it. I'm sure he could see all of that. He could see all Israel amazed and delighted and thrilled that now finally a house has been built for God, for His ark, His presence to come. I mean, that would be wonderful. And I'm sure he tossed and turned all night. Do you ever go to bed at night and you've got a plan for the next day and you can hardly sleep because you're thinking about it? It must have been he got for days or weeks with this plan until he could stand it no longer and he sent for Nathan. Did that ever happen to you? It seemed to be everything had just come together, that all the pieces of the jigsaw all fitted perfectly, that all the signs were good, that all the advices were positive, 
that everything that you thought in your heart was going to happen, that's definitely going to happen because everybody knows and everybody's praying and, and it's, just, it's just going to happen. That's just it. It's a given. I mean, why wouldn't it? But then suddenly, suddenly God says, no. That must have been a shocker. God says, no. Even though Nathan had given him advice, he hadn't actually prophesied at that time, he just gave him advice, and it seemed good, wise counsel. But Nathan goes back, and that night in his home, God suddenly speaks to him about David and shows him a vision about David, and he has to go and deliver it. And it's not what David's going to want to hear. And I'm sure Nathan didn't want to go and give it. But God had spoken. Again, don't turn to this. First Chronicles 17, verse 2 and 3. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, You shall not build me a house to dwell in. And suddenly, the door is firmly shut in his face. His heart must have sunk into his boots. No reason was given at this point, just no. The reason was given later. But at this point, it was just no, you can't build me this house. No missionary work, no preaching, no singing, no playing, no business, no travel, no marriage, no partner whatever it may be. All good dreams and ambitions and hopes, suddenly, no. What do you do when God says no? You say, but pastor, does God not give us the desires of our heart? For the most part, absolutely. For the most part, for sure, He wants to give us the desires of our heart. But... The desires of our heart and the desires of His heart for us has got to line up. That's the trick. And if He says no, and if we insist, and if we persist, God may say, okay. But I wouldn't advise that. I wouldn't advise that at all. If God says no, He's got a good reason to say no. And he had a good reason for David. And in David's case, although it's not very pleasant, but he gave him the reason later on. He told him it was because he had bloody hands. He had fought too many wars. And whoever's going to build his house would have innocent hands. So what are you going to do if God says no to your heart's desire? Because sometime in life, sooner or later, and it may be not a big massive thing, it may be not a big life-changing thing, but it could be something that you had your heart set on and God can just say, no, not for you. Not for you. Ever. If He says not for you at this time, at least you can be patient and wait and persevere. But what if He says not for you ever? For somebody else, but not for you. That's tough, isn't it? So we need to see what David did. We need to see how he handled this. 
So if the day ever comes and God says no to us, we trust that we can be like this man. Here's a man that was, the Bible says, called him a man after God's own heart. He loved God with all of his heart. He was a worshiper. He was a man who sought the Lord. He's a man who had a real passion for the things of God. And yet God is denying him this. So how does he handle it? First of all, he sat. He went before the Lord and he sat down. It's an interesting term that is used there. He sat down before the Lord. You rarely ever find that. People stand or people need. He sat. And I think that it shows us he has such an intimate relationship with the Lord that he felt that he could just sit before him and just talk as a friend. But he sat gratefully. Listen to the, these verses in, from verse 18. Just We left off at verse 17, but just from verse 18 to 25. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word is for your word's sake, and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with, your, with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on earth, whom God sent to, went to redeem from himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land, before your people, uh, whom you redeemed from your, for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods." For you have made your people Israel your own, very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. You know, in this particular chapter, if you were to read verses 4 to 17, which we have read, if you read it very carefully, you'll see that God had promised him three specific things. He had promised him a house, he had promised him a throne, and he had promised him a kingdom. Now, when it says he promised him a house, in that particular chapter, house is mentioned a whole lot of times. Sometimes it's talking about this house he wants to build for God. Sometimes it's talking about his cedar house he's living in. But when God talks to him about this house, he's talking about his dynasty. He's talking about his heritage. He's talking about his family that would come from his loins and go forth. And you remember that Jesus came from this lineage. Jesus came from David's loins, as it were, through his family, through his side. And so he promised him a house, a wonderful heritage, not just something of bricks and mortar or stone or whatever but a, a house that would continue. 
He promised them a throne that would continue. And yes, it continued through Solomon. But when you come right on down to Jesus, his throne will continue forever. And he promised them a kingdom. And what a kingdom it was. David was the greatest king that Israel ever had. And there was golden years. And then Solomon ruled, and there was a golden period there. What a kingdom it was. Not so much they got now, but what a kingdom it was then. But what a kingdom that Christ has raised up that one day will fill the whole earth. And so he's made them three fantastic promises. By the way, when you take Israel into that whole scenario about a throne and a kingdom and, and all of that, when you take Israel into that, you'll find out that it's amazing what God's promises to raise up even the kingdom of Israel and how that's even being played out to this day. That Jerusalem, for instance, the capital city of Israel, I mean, from the moment David took it off the Jebusites and claimed that for himself as the city of David, that was over 3,000 years ago. And it's still there to this day. Of course, it's bigger, you know. But it's still there to this day, and it's being fought over to this day. So what David has been given by God here is not just bricks and mortar. It's something that's very spiritual. It's something that's wonderful. It's something that will continue. It's something that God is even using to this very day and will use into the future. And he was grateful. He was grateful. He was taken from the sheepfolds as a little boy. And God had made him a mighty king. And God had given him these fantastic promises. Why am I saying that? Even if we never, ever get our heart's desire. Even if we don't get it, there's still so much that God has already promised us. There's so much He's already given us that we could thank Him forever, couldn't we? And so we need to just sit and sit gratefully. And then we need to submit graciously. Not grudgingly, but graciously. Verses 26 to 29 in that same chapter. We left off at verse 25. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, o Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. There's something gracious about David here. The thing that he wanted to do most in his life, above all things, was build a house for the Lord. And God said, no, I won't let you do it. How would we react if God turned us down for the thing we desired the most? It would be as gracious as this man. He was very, very gracious. He thanked the Lord. He appreciated what he had got. And he was very gracious. Sometimes when God says no, we end up striving against him instead of bowing before him. Instead of saying, okay, God, you know best. You know best. This is what I wanted. 
but you know best. And whenever we bow before him and be gracious before him, do you know what? God doesn't owe us anything, by the way. Sure he doesn't. He doesn't owe us anything. If God was never to give us one single thing more from now to eternity comes, we've already got the greatest thing. He's already saved us. And we're not going to hell tonight. We're going to heaven. Amen? And so we need to pray that prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. Not my will, but thine be done. You remember the Apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus and on the road to Damascus and the Lord knocked him off his horse, his high horse, <laughs> might I add. And you remember what he said to the Lord after he said, Lord, is that you? And so forth. Lord, what do you want me to do? What wilt thou have me do? What a great prayer. Lord, what's your will? Not mine, but what's your will? What do you want me to do? And God began to reveal that to him. And he was gracious. This is the man who fought. <laughs> he fought the very one that was calling him and changing him. He fought him for all that time. Persecuted his flock. Now he's being gracious and said, Lord, he humbled himself. What do you want me to do? I want you to look at this scripture in John 21. John 21. Peter wasn't known for his graciousness. Sure he wasn't. At least till he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But Peter was less than gracious. Peter had a big mouth and it ran off quite a lot, didn't it? And his foot was always been in his mouth, wasn't it? And so this is just after Jesus that morning on the shore, whenever he calls him aside and he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? You know that story so well. And after he had told him to feed his sheep and feed his lambs, then he said this to him, verse 18 of John 21, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, another will guard you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, would Peter be gracious? No. <laughs> it was not within his nature at this present time. So what does he do? He gets on the defensive. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, whom Jesus loved following, who had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But, Lord, what about this man? That wasn't very gracious, was it? Hey, Lord, you're telling me I'm going to die. What about him? Eh? What about your man over there? Wasn't very gracious, was it? And Jesus says, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter, none of your business. None of your business. What I do with him is my business. Your business is following me. 
Full stop. End of story. Just follow me. Now we know that Peter went on filled with the Holy Spirit and became a very gracious, gracious man. A great leader, but a gracious man. But at that moment, he wasn't very gracious, wasn't he? He didn't just bow down and accept this. I mean, he was really wondering, well, what about the rest of this lot? What about him especially? You know, the one that always says that you love him. What about him? Do we submit graciously? David submitted graciously. And thirdly, we can support generously. We can support generously. In First Chronicles, it's just over a few pages there, First Chronicles chapter 22, First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 22. David has submitted. He's been gracious. He knows that it's not going to happen through him. He knows now that it's going to happen through his son, Solomon. So there's going to be some time before all this takes place. It's going to be a while. It's going to be a few years. So what happens? Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he appointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of the gates and for the joints, and bronze in abundance beyond measure, and cedar trees in abundance for the Sidonians and for those from Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. Now David said, Solomon my son is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars, and you shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest. The word name Solomon, that's what it literally means. Peaceful. Shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies round about. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you, and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God, as he said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding, and give you charge concerning Israel, that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you care to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord. One, listen to this. 100,000 talents of gold, 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant. 
I have prepared timber and stone also that you may add to them. Moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen and stonecutters, all types of skillful men for every kind of work, of gold and silver and bronze and iron. There is no limit. Arise and begin working, and the Lord will be with you. David has also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your work to seek the Lord your God. Therefore arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. You may be called to stand by the stuff. You may be called to be a sower for others to be reapers. You may be called to be a helper, a preparer, an encourager, a net mender, a prayer. You may be the one who sends rather than goes. Not everybody can go, but you may be the ones called to send. David had other things in mind. God had other things in mind for David. He had psalms. He had poems to write. He had songs to compose. He had all kinds of things to do. He had to enlarge the borders of Israel. God had great things for him to do. And God may have great things for you to do, which may be better and bigger and greater than what he says no to. God's not a spoiled sport. He's not a killjoy. He doesn't want to harm us or hurt us. He just wants us to receive and accept His will and to enjoy His will and to walk in His will. And even if He says no sometimes, it's because He's a greater and He's got a bigger yes to give us. So sit gratefully, submit graciously, and if necessarily, necessary, support generously. We all can do something, can't we, to reach out. Let's pray. Lord God, as we take these few moments, the close of this service tonight, as we still our hearts before you. Lord, help us at all times, no matter how difficult it may be, to receive your will and accept it. Not to fight you, but to submit to you. Not to wrestle, but to rest and to trust. And Lord, it could be that not at this point, but at some point in our future, it could be you may say no. Help us, Lord, to remember to trust you. Help us to believe, Lord, it's because you've got something greater, something that's more important in your will for us. So we give you thanks, Lord, for your mercies and your graces. We bless you for your goodness. Lord, every day we receive your goodness in our lives because you're a good God. Help us to rejoice in your faithfulness and goodness. 
And as we go forth, Lord, over these weeks and months and years, did you come, Lord? Or, Lord, till we go to you, we pray, Lord, that we'll walk in your will. And, Lord, that we'll receive the best that you have got for us. Whatever that best may be, it'll be good for us because it's of your hand. So, Lord, over these weeks, Lord, as friends go on holiday, and, Lord, as they relax and rest, we pray for your refreshing spirit to be upon them. And, Lord, that you'll bless them indeed. And, Lord, that you'll lift them up in spirit, that you'll encourage them, Lord, that you'll physically, Lord, cause their energies to be restored. And above all things, Lord, that their spirit may rejoice in your goodness. So we give you thanks, Lord, for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.